Good morning. Welcome to the Laurel Heights Church of Christ, where we promise teaching and preaching from the text of Scripture. Well, we are here this morning under circumstances we did not envision, might not have expected just a few weeks ago. But there is a calm Christians have even during unexpected circumstances because of our trust in God. What we hear in the news and what happens in the world doesn't move us away from our faith in God. Our faith in God, in fact, provides calm and endurance and patience. And I'm encouraged by your presence here this morning. And may I offer a recommendation. Use your time tonight and the stay-at-home time that you have this week to pray, to gather up your kids for Bible study and good discussions of moral values, to catch up on your daily Bible reading, get on the phone and check with people who may need help that you can safely provide, encourage someone, write some cards and send them out. It ought not to be for us dead time. Christians do not know dead time. We know useful time. We redeem the time because the days are evil. So let's reconsider where we are with God and renew and refresh our faith. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 7 verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. I believe this to be a statement of divine generosity. Divine <clears throat> generosity expressed by Jesus for those who were with him then and for our benefit today. Through prayer and through seeking in the text of Scripture, we can be recipients of great generosity and grace from God. And I want to talk about a part of that with you for a few minutes this morning. And I want to introduce the sermon this way. What are the big questions? A lot of things happen on earth and appear on the news. And we have questions. And we seek sometimes with great difficulty to be informed I want to take us this morning to the big questions. What are the big questions? For our review, to spark conversation with others that we may have opportunity to have this week, maybe some unbelieving people, people deficient in faith, we're going to talk about the big questions. There are four I want to highlight during our time together this morning. Four of the big questions. Number one, how did I get here? This is a question of origin. How did we get here? How can the existence of human beings on earth be explained? Science fiction movies entertain us with far-fetched answers. Various religious cults pose their theories Atheistic scientists offer some varieties of 
evolutionary thought answered by a sermon about two weeks ago today. If you were here in that previous sermon a couple of weeks ago, you remember we addressed God's existence established by design. There is this very simple truth. Where there is design, there is a designer. And we want to help people answer this question by calling attention to that. How did we get here? And we keep in our minds all the time firmly creation truth. And we ought never to hesitate to give the answer. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1 verse 1. You've heard this many times. There was a definite point in time, in the beginning. There was a supreme, intelligent designer, God. God engaged in activity, created, and there were results, the heavens and the earth. Part of that history specifies our origin. I'm in Genesis chapter 1 Verses 26 and 27. Let us make man in our image, God said, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. All available evidence in the universe, in the design of the human body, in the integrity of Scripture, and in world history, gives this statement the highest credibility. It is not just believable, there is absolutely no other plausible answer, no other cause sufficient to produce human life as we know it, your life and my life. We are here as a result of God's creative work. In the beginning, He created. There was a time when he said, let us make man in our image, and he did that, and it was good. Should you have any doubt about any of this? I want you to visit with me privately. Let's get together and have a conversation. I'd like an opportunity to address any doubt that you might have. Because this big question is foundational. Only when this is answered can we discover valid motive to push ahead with good choices and set our lives on the right course. May I add, you were not only made, you were made in the image of God. What does that say? God regards man differently from animals. We were made similar to God in that we have the capacity to think, process choices, acknowledge consequences, love and speak and relate and decide to align our lives with the divine. 
the earth, the physicality, the animals all have a place in God's order. But it says, man was made in the image of God. That's the answer. We hold to the answer to the first big question. How can I be saved? The greater your confidence in God and the greater your conviction concerning what's written in Genesis, the greater your awareness that you need help. That you haven't lived up to the high standards God has set. Reading the Bible, you make some very simple personal discoveries, and you may make many of these discoveries actually in childhood. It is wrong to lie. There are attitudes God condemns. Gossip is a sin. When we fail to treat people right, when we neglect to do what God commands, when love isn't practiced from the inside out, when obedience is pushed aside, you think of all of that, and more and more you become convicted, and you say to yourself, I don't measure up. I'm a sinner. I want you to listen to something in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. That was read thoroughly from the pulpit a few weeks ago. This is from God through Paul to the Christians in Rome to remind them of what man needs to be saved from. What man needs to be saved from. I want you to listen to this about not acknowledging God not honoring him as God. I'm starting in verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Let me say something that people do not like to hear at first, but please hear me out. You are on this list. I am in this list. Everybody you know on earth is in this list in Romans 1 somewhere. Have you ever done anything foolish? We're not asking for public testimony right now. What about gossip? Disobedient to parents. Any envy ever crossed through your mind? Boastful? A lack of faith? I think you get the point. And Paul makes it very specific in Romans 3.23 when he says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I fall short. You fall short. That leads to the big question, how can I be saved? And this is where 
This is where we are well advised to apply that well-known rule of Bible study. Just keep reading. After Paul's indictment of the world, we are all guilty of sin, he speaks the truth that is called the gospel of Christ. The Christ who died making it possible for sinners to be forgiven. A gift that comes to those who obey the gospel and are buried with Christ in baptism. Remember where we started, ask and it will be given you. Are you concerned about your past sins? Do you know about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he did? You haven't been baptized? God created the heavens and the earth and made man in his own image. We are not worthy to claim we've kept God's law perfectly. In fact, all have sinned and do fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. But sinners can be saved. Why wouldn't you? Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. So the answer is there, waiting for sinners to respond and be saved. From time to time we address audiences. Have you been baptized? Baptism as written in the New Testament. Not a denominational ceremony. Not something you did without good thought and purpose about what you were doing. Have you personally grappled with the question of salvation? How can I be saved? The book we've read from conveys to you clearly the answer. The third big question, how do I live today? How do I live daily? Well, if I was made by God and I've responded to Jesus Christ to be forgiven of my past sin and to live in fellowship with God, the answer here is I should continue to respond to Christ by the daily activity of my faith. That's the answer. But it begs for specifics. A number of passages in the New Testament inform us in a very full way of the specifics of living your life as a Christian. As to attitude, speech, relationships, responsibility, participation in the local church. We are not in the dark at all. Here's an example. I'm turning to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're going to go through some of this for a few minutes. Remembering what our question is now, how do I live daily? Here's a good starting place. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God gave me and you a human body. I must use it as a living sacrifice to Him, which means not conforming to the world, 
not conforming to the kind of person the world wants me to be. Instead, I'm to be holy, exhibiting what is good and acceptable. And I continue reading. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I go back to where we started. God has been so generous to us. We ought to be generous with whatever we have to give. Even when we don't have what others have. What talent, what opportunity, what resource do I have to give? What do you have to give, to offer, to spread the borders of the kingdom? There are four words here about the gifts that we have to offer. Let us use them. During this time, this week, when you can't go out and engage in the ordinary activities, determine what gift you have, what giving can you do during what would otherwise be dead time. Verses 9 through 13. We're still in Romans 12. 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Does somebody need specification about how we live daily? If God made me and saved me, my daily life should exhibit what we just read. Love, abhorring what is evil, holding fast to what is good. I refuse to be slothful. I'm going to be fervent in spirit as a servant of the Lord and constant in prayer. Let me remind us, should we ever have moments, <clears throat> should we ever have moments of being vague about what we need to get up and do every day as Christians, read Romans 12. And then <clears throat> read Paul's other letters, particularly when you get to the latter part of those letters, Galatians 5 and 6, Philippians 3 and 4, Colossians 3. Spirit-inspired specification instructing us about our conduct in response to God who made us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the time. 
What are the big questions? Where am I headed? So we try to connect all of this. If God made me, if God then gave me a way to be saved from sin through Christ, and then all of that built in me the desire to be the kind of disciple I ought to be day after day, Where are God's people who do these things headed? In 1 Thessalonians 4, I'm reading 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. When the Lord descends, when He comes back and there is the sound of that trumpet, when you hear that and see him, what emotion will fill your mind? Will it be dread and guilt and pain or will it be joy, hope realized, and the anticipation of glory? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That word heaven, just the word, what emotions, what mental picture. The writer James Packer once said, as I get older... I find that I appreciate God and people and good and lovely and noble things more and more intensely. So it is a pure delight to think that this enjoyment will continue in another higher form someday. Out in the rural country, there was an infidel didn't believe in anything much. If someone brought up religion or God or the Bible, he responded with some curt, dismissive, or angry comment. Known in town as the old infidel farmer. A new preacher came to town and said, I'm going to go visit the old infidel farmer. Church people said, no, don't do that. It'll do no good. We've been to talk to him. He'll just get mad. It'll be a waste of your time. The preacher said, I've got to. He went to the old infidel farmer and the conversation went something like this. Preacher said, uh, show me what you have. The infidel was proud of his land, his farm, his holdings, his property. And he took the preacher up near the barn at a very high place on the property. property and he said... I came here as a poor boy, 18 years old, didn't have a dime. 
I work the land. And now I own everything you can see in every direction. The big fields of waving grain, the pastures, the meadowlands, the great stretch of the woodland, all mine. And he pointed in the four directions of the compass. And the preacher pointed up and said, how much do you have in that direction? Farmer said, I guess nothing. The preacher said, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Have you honestly dealt with the big questions? Are you a Christian? Why not become one today while together we stand and as we sing?